0: Hi, listener. It's been a while since I've opened the mic for this particular medium. I don't know where you are or what time it is where you are, but I'm letting you know that today is the day for a new podcast. So this might be a short podcast, but I need to make commentary on a new newish law that's passed through the House Committee in Olympia, Washington State Privacy Act. And I think that this law has been hashed and rehashed several times. And this year, I wasn't as concerned because they started legitimately considering law enforcement. And before, they were going to pass a law with no means of law enforcement. So it was a complete waste of taxpayers' time. And what they did in the meantime was aggregate all of the reasonable means in which people were demanding justice and law enforcement on behalf of, you know, privacy interests that represented this state. Washington state is a really important state for privacy because of all of the data that runs through this state due to Amazon and derivative houses of facebook and twitter and all of the other ecosystem reliant cloud-based systems microsoft ibm oracle everything in the tree it's all here and it's all data reliant they all use the same oem and you know they talk to each other and everything handshakes you know not everything has good information security uh There's a lot of breakdowns and not as much encryption as there should be. Um, So there are breaches. And when breaches happen, because they do happen, either it's a zero day or something else happens, there will be a breach. And when those breaches happen, people get the information who shouldn't have it then the consumer who invested in, say, a cloud-based system, which is not necessarily the most secure, uh, will be in the wind. So it's been a problem for a long time to try to get these companies to be accountable for the information that they're processing in a secure way. So they lose the information, but they also misuse the information. They pass it along to vendors and third-party accounts and people in the system that really, you know, are kind of laundered in there. And these are people that you'll never meet. They're making money off of you and you don't know how that happened. So there's all these people that are out there making money off of your data that aren't you. I think that's a huge problem because you never see any of it. It's like being a, a 1930s blues player recording once and uh, everybody makes money except you. You go in- into uh, juke gigs and you get paid 50 cents a night or whatever. It was 1930s. I'm just, you know, go with me. Just go with me on this one. And, uh, and then they make Hand Over Fist. So I've always thought it was more of an IP and licensing issue, but people think that that's really too highfalutin. What it is is that there's out people out there at Google and Facebook and Amazon and other places that believe that they put this submit button in front of you and that's gonna cover all of your obligation to them to use data ad infinitum. So what they've done as kind of a offering in this bill, is to say, well, we'll we'll give you some injunctive relief, which means that you can contact the state to get these companies to stop licensing or passing around your information for money. You, You can get them to do that. There's some CCPA type provisions in there that say, don't sell my data, my data alone that sort of thing and they might invent an agency to administrate your data okay well the state this state has a kind of a troubled history administrating data um i'll just give you a recent example the esd which is the employment department uh, was supposed to give out all these checks for covid relief And COVID relief didn't go very well because some Nigerians got it. And how did that happen? Well, a few years ago, there was an Equifax hack. The Equifax hack was conducted by some people who live very far away in the People's Republic of China. And people in the CCP benefited because they were involved with a company who made counterfeit profiles for Sesame Credit. Sesame Credit also is responsible for the product known as Credit Karma. So every time you run your credit through Credit Karma, you may also be playing into an ecosystem that stole some Americans' personal information, was laundered through China, and then resurrected on the West Coast in Vancouver, by a guy who has dual citizenship with Canada and China. And I don't really know where he is or where he is in the justice system right now, but he poached all those profiles and made an entirely new credit company based on my credit history, my spouse's credit history, and then many millions of Americans' credit history that wasn't deserved or asked for. Equifax actually kinda knew something had happened, but they didn't know where it went or how far it was gonna go. So when China was all done with that information and they got their company going, they said, what are we gonna do with this information? Well we'll just dump it into the deep web. So that's what they did. And then some Nigerians said, well, you know, we'll we'll do something with this at some point. So they they just slipped it in a tickler fire. Fire. <laughs> A fire sale. Uh, File. Tickler file for later. So when it came time to come get their money, which wasn't their money, they waited till the CCP had shut everyone down with this germ warfare, germ warfare here, and the COVID 19 virus. And everybody shut down. Nobody has any employment. All these businesses are, are underwater. And suddenly we all have to rely on the government to get our money. So thousands and thousands and thousands of Washingtonians went to ESD trusting that they would get a check. They'd paid into the system. And what happens? Some Nigerian got it. And so what is... A shameful thing about that is they took that woman, I think, I can't remember, Susan Levine, that's her name, she has a name, Susan Levine, and they wanted to appoint her to employment in the federal government once Biden got into office, which I thought was like a real punch in the head for people who were like, don't you need someone competent to administrate that? So I, I, don't, I don't think she did a good job because it was months and months and months and months and months after that. People were clicking and pushing and clicking and pushing from 8 to 5, nearly 6 days, 7 days a week, trying to get those government benefits. And the government knew they weren't going to get the benefits, but they were sitting there refreshing and clicking, refreshing, refreshing and clicking all day long trying to get those benefits. And I felt really sorry for them. I really did. You know, that contributes to mental illness. But it's not its not something new around here in Western Washington. That's the kind of thing that they'll do on a regular basis. And they'll tell you it's your fault. It's your fault because you didn't click the button more. No, it's their fault. It's Susan Levine's fault. And it's our government's fault because they didn't protect our information. It's Washington State's fault because they didn't protect the information. So... Let's turn the page. This year, there was a bill that didn't go anywhere. I think it was HB or HR 1433. And in this bill, there was the promise that the regulatory agency being set up to monitor privacy, or the domain of privacy in government, would go to the Department of Commerce. You know, you say, well... You know, from a pragmatic standpoint, that makes perfect sense because there's so much data, and it's being made money. See, when it goes over to China, it becomes money. It just becomes money. Data becomes money. People become money in China. That's how you, as a person, can show up, put your finger on a scanner in the public transportation, and then suddenly... Go somewhere wherever you want because you're you. Now that in a you know, weird utopian counter utopian world, that makes sense. But if you're a Uyghur, you're gonna be peddling a rickshaw because the government doesn't like you and your credit's no good. So that's how it goes in a system like that. So for years, I've been trying to avoid a similar fate for America. And it started with Real ID and nationalized identity mandates and identity programs. And I'm really pretty sensitive about that stuff. So I went long on it, and it drove me crazy. And I finally won. Uh, the, volu- the mandate became voluntary, so I had no more fight. So I'm pretty happy that that's the way it went. Now, if I- if they kind of change the law or something where I don't have to, or, I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. It's voluntary. Real ID is voluntary. And it, it can go into effect in October of this year, or not. They kicked it down the road for years. And it's still voluntary. Now, you'll hear an ad that says, Hey, go down and get your Real ID. You better go do it. And you're like, I don't gotta go do it because it's voluntary. So, don't fall for that. Don't go get your license renewed because Real ID. If that's what you want to do. Anyways, this is supposed to be short. 1433. We're going to make it the domain of Department of Commerce. The problem with Department of Commerce is that it's really kind of a one-way ramp to... Uh, import-export business with China. Let's just not sugarcoat this. If you called there and asked to speak to someone about data administration today, a Chinese national, current or former, would pick up the phone and they would tell you import or export business. And if you don't have either, then they hang up on you. And that's the end of the conversation. So I told that to the author of this bill, Shelly Kloba. You know, what what are we supposed to do if, you know, because there was all this like architecture and scaffolding and legal scaffolding for DNA and biometrics and, you know, and it was all packed up in bubble wrap, kind of tight. Jennifer Lee got involved at the ACLU of Washington and it looked good. On paper, until it went to the Department of Commerce. And then everything just went... (sniffs) Fell down. No scaffolding. International waters. You're screwed. And I'm like, why write a bill at all? So, that's the kind of thing that we're dealing with here in Washington State. And they are trafficking everyone's data. So, I'm doing a podcast to help you understand that if this state passes an inferior law that administrates your data, it's going into some global enterprise, yes. Will it be protected? Probably not. And someone else will be making money on it. Who is not you? And you're beginning to say, well, maybe there's no changes to what's actually going on if we just keep it the way it is. Why should you make illegal behavior, quasi-legal, by putting it into law. Well, then you get people like <clears throat> the IAPP and the writers behind the IAPP, who are actually just kind of masked ad tech people trying to clean up their act, saying, you have ad choices! In fact, it's ad choices. And advertising choices is kind of a a, a toggle switch, if you can find it, um, for ads. And if you can find it, that's great. But most people can't find it. And that's why CCPA. That's why the California Consumer Privacy Act. Because they couldn't find the toggle. It was buried and tucked and layered in there so far that you have to deal with all the cookies and eat the cookies. You you don't have time. Just click. Just submit. Click. Click submit. We need it. We need the data. Anyways... So, I'm tired of all this. So, she writes something like this. Jennifer Bright. She writes, okay, well, the bill was hindered. The bill was stopped last year because of the enforcement debate. Now, there's two ways I can kind of read a statement like that. I can go, okay, the bill was stopped because of a debate. Well, the bill was probably bad. And there needed to be a law enforcement debate because if you pass a law without enforcing it, what is the freaking point? Don't pass a law. Don't humiliate the public. Don't waste our time. Don't waste our legislators' time. With a law you're not going to enforce. This is not just for corporation. This is for the people who have to live with that law. So... That's like one way I could, I could read that. The other way I could read that is kind of more nuanced. And the way I would read it is that, well, there was a debate and the law didn't get passed, so we need a reason why it didn't get passed. So we're going to just blame it on the people who tried to get some law enforcement. It can be their fault. And it's like, okay, I'll take it on the nose. If it's my fault, then it's my fault. But you don't pass laws unless you get some enforcement behind a law. And then privacy is currently in the realm of no enforcement or little or had been victim area with little enforcement. Now, before, say, 2010, it was an area of really high enforcement. If you violated someone's privacy, it was hell to pay. And then they stopped enforcing privacy. People forgot about privacy. They just said it's too inconvenient. There's too many, too many interests. And then we discovered, well, Obama seduced all the tech companies to do his, uh, his fascist dirty work and with Prism and, you know, Ed Snowden and all that. So they got real entitled over all information. And then people who are journalists got into this weird role that they thought, you know, it's like, well, well, I could just be a hacker now. I can I can be a hacker, I can just hack people, and it'll be legal because nobody will enforce it because I'm a Democrat, right? And so, I mean, that's the kind of bizarre thinking that we're getting into that kind of carried over from that era. People who believed that hacking was quasi-legal based on their partisan affiliation, which is wrong-headed, and it's, it's still not legal, yet other crimes that were not crimes were greatly amplified, like the crimes of Aaron Schwartz, who basically ripped off some textbooks from a closet at MIT. He could have probably just paid the university for the copies. But no. No, they wanted to hang him for 35 years and over-prosecute him using... A little-known arm of the Secret Service to send a message don't oppose the big fat Obama or you'll or else you'll end up in jail don't try to copy textbooks like what was he really trying to say and I think you know there's just a grip of people in our centralized government right now who have completely lost touch with reality and with the center of the United States Constitution, what it means, who has rights, nobody is going to ask permission to use rights because they're rights. And it's really weird. My whole tour up here has been really, really weird. In fact, there was a guy named Phil Mosek, who, you know, got enrolled with all the EFF folks and all those other communitarian leftists who who believe that they're pro-privacy and you know, show up to all the events and, you know, hobnob with all the, the people. <laughs> but I don't, I don't talk to any of those people anymore, and they don't talk to me because there's like open face, open water censorship. In fact, uh, you know, if we're gonna name names, I'm gonna name J- Phil Mosick. Phil Mosick worked or works for Sesame Credit. Sesame Credit is the Equifax. Counterfeit institution just over the sound who's still profiting from Credit Karma. They run ads for Credit Karma right now for a Chinese company with Canadian interest. So, you know, I could be super, super duper angry, or I could just tell you, I could just tell you, you know, I'm not choking on these words, they've been there the whole time. And, you know, Washington State is a deliberately convoluted, difficult, obstructionist place. It's a leftist place. It's a place where people gaslight you right in the middle of the day. If you get on a bus and you make small talk about me and maybe privacy comes up, they get vile with you because they're trying to defend a corporation. They don't work for the corporation. In particular, like Microsoft, they don't work for Microsoft. They're not on duty, and they they want to confront you in the middle of Seattle traffic. You know, it's it's just not a fight I would pick. But you know, and that's that's why it's weird to me. So that's why I'm telling you, this is the kind of stuff that goes on here. And then you know, turn the page. You've got. You got a lot of homeless people, and in downtown Seattle, you got a lot of you got a lot of weirdo leftists that decided to take over. You know what was it, Cal Anderson Park, downtown in Seattle? You know, kick the police out, and uh, show up with guns, and then everybody gets amnesia, and they say, "Well, let's let's just let's just get get off." of that train, and let's pretend Antifa's not real, and you know, we're gonna say you know, I saw them, they were they, they were there, guns, you know waving next to a taco restaurant, okay They're, they were there, real with guns, you know, assault rifles what, no matter what you think, it, that still happened, you know, wh- whether you're on the side of the gun lobby or not, that happened Nobody's going to tell me that didn't happen. So I think that the Democrats here just don't want to admit that happened. So part of me getting on this microphone and saying this long dialogue is to say, uh, that happened and I need you to know you're not going to talk me out of it and the local colluded denialism is not going to make that real. So, these other sanity stealers that don't apply to the rest of the country, you know, clap for yourselves. But that's the kind of stuff that goes on here. So, the anti-gun lobby. Let's take away this gun because we don't like it. Or this type of gun applique because we don't like it. Well, I mean, the, the Second Amendment is pretty, pretty forthwith. You know, you don't get to just pick and choose who has gun rights. You know, I'm going to ignore Antifa and let them have criminalized gun rights while these people who are our political opponents whom we don't like at all have no gun rights. They'll obey the law. But these other people who suck at obeying laws and are antisocial by the psychological definition not the I don't want to talk to people definition, the ones with criminal mindsets who deliberately light fire to stuff because it feels good, um, (sighs) those people don't care, you know, and they still shoot up places, they they go into places like YouTube and Google when they're mad and uh, threaten to kill people, okay? So, <laughs> you know, the, the subjective, the rules apply when the rules apply, um, or the this, this selective prosecution is not going to work. So it's really, really, really important that if a privacy law is passed in Washington state, that there's backup pressure from people with real integrity, either outside of the state, Or, you know, an association of attorneys generals. You know, the court system, you know, holds them to the enforcement bearings. Because if they don't, all the legal bull weevils and fixers and loophole corkers are just going to go to work on it like that. And then we're going to be here next year with a law that is unenforceable by proxy, and cont- people are going to continue to be screwed. So the fight is long. I've said what I had to say. I'm going to get off this mic. And This is going to be the first episode, but I'll be back, and um, I'll have lots more to say at that time. This has been your host, Tempest Del Fuego, signing off. I hope you do well with all that you need.